It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by AdvanceB2B.com. It's your host Edward Ford and today we're joined by Steve Rayson, Director at BuzzSumo. BuzzSumo is one of our favorite SaaS tools and is a key component of our content marketing processes here at the Growth Hub. And in this episode, Steve shares the story of BuzzSumo's growth journey over the last three years as they've gone from beta launch to 5 million in ARR. In particular, Steve focuses on how BuzzSumo built a sustainable and profitable SaaS business, as well as how BuzzSumo challenged the unicorn orthodoxy and became a so-called SaaS donkey. Some of the key factors that enabled BuzzSumo to go from zero to 2.5 million ARR, the role of influencer marketing in SaaS growth, including how influencers such as Rand Fishkin and Matthew Barbie helped spread the word about BuzzSumo, how BuzzSumo set growth targets and approached their growth from 2.5 to 5 million ARR, and what things BuzzSumo might have done differently with the gift of hindsight alongside what they have planned for the future. Stay tuned for the end of the episode where Steve shares his top five tools that help him with his work alongside his best piece of advice for SaaS growth leaders. So here is episode six of the Growth Hub podcast with Steve Rayson, director at BuzzSumo. So welcome everyone to the show and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast, Steve Rayson, director at BuzzSumo. Hi Edward, nice to be here. Yeah, we're, we're big fans of BuzzSumo and we're thrilled to have you on the show. And I was thinking, could you start things off by telling us a bit about the background of BuzzSumo and how you ended up founding the company? Okay, yeah, and it's a slightly unusual story. I previously built and sold e-learning companies and I'd sold my last e-learning company and I was locked out of working in e-learning for three years. So I couldn't do what I knew really. So um, I was looking for other things to do and I came across a rudimentary version of BuzzSumo online. Uh, James and Henley were the original uh, people who came up with the idea for BuzzSumo and they built an early version, but it was really as a hobby. They'd um, uh, never met, for example, one was in New York, one was in London. They were building it sort of online. And um, I just thought, this is such a great idea. So I approached them and said, would you like to turn this into a business? Um, I can help do some initial funding to, to get it off the ground. Um, and it took a bit of persuading, but uh, after, okay. after a while of talking <laughs> to them about it, uh, managed to persuade them to give up their jobs and, and create BuzzSumo. Which, uh, so those discussions took place at the end of 2013, and we founded the company uh, in March 14 and launched our first paid product in September 14. Okay, and, and you mentioned in your blog post, uh, proud to be a donkey, BuzzSumo reflections on growing a $5 million SaaS business, that you actually wanted to challenge what I call the unicorn orthodoxy. Uh, so could you just tell us a bit about what the unicorn orthodoxy is, and more importantly, what is a SaaS donkey? <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I'm being slightly provocative, but I, I suppose what I was really <laughs> challenging is that if you're setting up businesses these days and you're looking for articles to, to help you, 
loads of the articles are really about hyper growth. You need to grow fast. You need to scale fast. Um, it's there's very much a focus about that that whole thing around and growth and speed of growth and scale of growth. And also that comes with a particular style of how you then set up and structure the company because to grow super fast, you need money to invest in sales and marketing. Um, that means you're probably going out and buying money or uh, borrowing money or you're, you're raising funds through VCs, uh, at the very least going through some early seed rounds of funding and then probably some Series A uh, sort of funding. So there's a whole uh, approach which is you've really got to grow fast or die. That's the sort of approach. Um, and you'll just read so many articles about that. And I think there are just other ways of being successful and growing a business because there are lots of downsides to the unicorn approach. I mean, on the positive side, if you are one of the very rare unicorns, um, you can make a lot of money, you can do incredibly well, but they are outliers. Unicorns, by their nature, are outliers. It's very difficult to learn anything from a unicorn because they're just such an outlier. Um, and actually, they're incredibly rare. So you know, VCs understand this. When a VC is investing, they won't invest in a single company because they'll know that companies won't make it. So they'll invest in 10 companies, 50 companies, et cetera, knowing that, you know, nine of the 10 may not make it. Um, so I think a lot of people, when they start out building their company, don't really understand this because it's incredibly stressful. Obviously, if you're in a, in a company, which is, uh, you know, you're not you're going to be one of the nine in 10 that don't make it, for example. Um, and it's stressful for a number of reasons, normally because the, the hyper growth approach is uh, you're focused on growth over profitability. So often in those early years, you're focused on growing the company, um, investing heavily in sales and marketing as well as product, et cetera. Uh, and so you're normally cash flow negative. And that's an incredibly stressful place to be because you're burning cash. At some point, you run out of cash unless you do another funding round. So for the individuals involved, I think that's an incredibly stressful place to be. And what I was really saying is there's another way of doing it, really. You can create companies where you have you know, a less focus on growth. You're still growing, um, but you're focused on getting to profitability and getting to some stability quite early, which means you do have less to spend on sales and marketing and you have to adopt different approaches but you can get to some form of sort of cash flow balance relatively quickly, and then you can grow it from there organically. So I was really just saying there are, there are different approaches, and one's not necessarily more successful than the other. It's um, there are just different approaches, and the, the hyper growth approach just seems to be the dominant one. And that if you're not growing by 100% a year, you're a failure, and all those sorts of things. Whereas actually, you know, 10, 20% a year growth on a, on, a, on a profitable company is a nice little business to have. So um, that's what I was trying to challenge in the article, really. Yeah, I think it was actually quite refreshing to uh, read about profitability in growing a SaaS business, because I often think it's quite an overlooked metric uh, at times, particularly when you're starting out on your SaaS journey. So it was actually very refreshing to read that. And is it possible then to categorize SaaS donkeys as bootstrapped and unicorns or the wannabe unicorns as VC backed, or is that too simplistic? In broad terms, I think that that split works just because I would say um, the whole idea really around being uh, a sort of the SaaS donkey approach is really is being bootstrapped. It's having more control over your destiny. And I think that's the other thing about stress. It's, um, it's still stressful bootstrapping because you're doing it. Um, it's your money involved, for example. Um, but you have a lot of control. When you're in a VC-backed business, obviously your VCs have a vested interest in what's happening in the business. They may even have rights to put new management in if you don't hit certain growth targets, those sorts of things. So um, generally, I think that split works. But yeah, my focus on the, the donkey was really 
let's not grow as fast, but let's get to profitability quite quickly. Um, and then let's build out organically and layering growth on top of a profitable product, really. Yeah. And, and if we think back to when you launched the business in late 2014, uh, you were able to quickly gain that initial traction, growing the business to 2.5 million ARR in your first full financial year in 2015. So what were some of the key things that enabled you to achieve this? Yeah, the first thing to say that the, the 2.5 million was actually at the end of our first full financial year. So it was about 16 months. So um, okay. rather than 12. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, in terms of, I think firstly, we had a beta product out. So from day one, we had a beta version of Buzzsumo out there, which was built on, it was the version I'd originally seen uh, when I approached James and Henley. Um, but we obviously built on that and we put out a beta version. So we had a fan base of people who liked the beta version. So when we launched, we weren't launching cold because a lot of people had used the product. A lot of people gave us feedback. Um, and that enabled us to turn a lot of those into paying customers quite quickly. So we had built quite an audience. And I think a lot of that's around having a freemium product. So we still have the freemium product. And I think this is a difference again, because we're sort of bootstrapped. Um, we don't have the VC money to spend tons on sales and marketing and those sorts of things. So the freemium product gave us reach and brand recognition, um, albeit we were giving out a free product. And there, there are dangers with freemium because it, you know, you're getting people to compare your paid product with your free product. So uh, almost the anchor price is zero. So there are downsides potentially of a freemium product. But the freemium product approach worked for us. We built quite a lot of users quite quickly. A lot of people spread it by word of mouth. Um, and so when we launched our pay plans in September, we got about 100 paying customers in the first month, which is not huge, but it was really encouraging. And then we built on from there. So, so I think for us, one of the big things was having a freemium product. I think fundamentally, though, it was a product that people liked. Um, and that's what really attracted me to, to it when I first saw these sort of rudimentary versions of the product, because you could go to Google and search for e-learning, for example, and you'll get Wikipedia number one, because Google does it on authority. So it's, it's very much based on authority and domain authority. Um, whereas I was interested in, you know, what are people in the e-learning industry sharing this week? And so going to Buzzsumo, typing in e-learning and seeing the most shared articles for the last week or the last 24 hours, I think that just appealed to loads of people. I think it was a different way of doing search. Um, and it's not saying these are the most authoritative articles, but it's saying this is what your peers are sharing. And I think that had appeal. So people spread it word of mouth. So I think it was a combination of the freemium style approach and word of mouth in terms of that initial traction that we built. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to ask is about the role of influencers in your growth, because I first heard about BuzzSumo. I think it was through Matthew Barbie on his blog. And I know other influencers like Rand Fishkin from Moz, for example, have also been evangelists of BuzzSumo. So how important have these influencers been? And how did you actually utilize or take advantage of influencer marketing when growing BuzzSumo? Yeah, I mean, it's a good, good, good point, really. And I think the word evangelist is quite important. For me, influencer marketing can be a bit misconstrued. Influencer marketing is not about getting someone like Rand or Matthew to tweet about your product just once they share something. Um, I mean, that's useful. But what you really want are influencer advocates who really do love your product, who you build relationships with. I think as with all influencer marketing, it starts with what can you do for them? So when we saw some people say nice things, we, we did approach them, but we tried to say, what can, 
what can we do that's helpful to you? We have lots of data, for example, at BuzzSumo. So, you know, if you want research on anything, let us know. We'll do the research for you. We gave everybody, a, a, the, the influence, of course, a, a free version of the app and said, what do you think? Give us feedback. And we were really flexible. If they had ideas around the app, we actually built in their features. So a number of the features in our app were built on the back of recommendations from, from influencers saying, it'd be nice if you did this. And so we worked that up with them. We talked to them. So we did try to build relationships, but really to build influencer advocates, people who were passionate about BuzzSumo. And we didn't look to do that with hundreds of people. We really looked to do it with sub-20 influencers, really, who we got to know um, and who we just built a relationship with. But we started with, what can we do to help you, really? So is there data we can have? So, you know, with Rand is a good example. Rand was interested in the correlation between shares and links. So I said, oh, anyway, let's do a research study. So we did a research study taking data from our databases and from Moz's link databases. And then we did all the correlations and we produced a piece of research. And actually, there, there's no correlation on average uh, across that. But um, so we did things like that, which I think were all about building the relationship. So it was trying to focus on a small number of influencers and building the relationships with them. And they certainly helped us in terms of that next stage of growth, really, I think. So Matthew has been a great supporter, as of Rand and Leodon and other people who've recommended us. And I think having influencer advocates helps so much because they don't just tweet it out once and tweets get lost very quickly. But when they're at a conference, they'll say, I'd recommend you check out this tool. Or when they're on a webinar, they'd say, or a podcast, check out this tool. So there's a big difference, I think, between an influencer mention and uh, an influencer advocate and so that certainly was a part of our strategy um i'm not sure it was that conscious when we first started it was just yeah. trying to be helpful um now you can look back and say oh yeah it was a strategy but i think in reality it was just oh these people like the product let's talk to them let's get their views let's see if we can help them um so i think that worked very well for us the other thing that worked was I think everybody has unique insights into the world from your company's perspective. And what we have at Buzzsumo is lots of data. We literally crawl billions of articles. Uh, so we have a huge database. We have a database now, I think for the last five years of every article published, how many shares it's got, for example. So we could then write research reports based on our data and that built our authority and reputation i think um, so we haven't done loads of them um, but we've done a number of research reports um, and so that's really helped us i think so because they're backed by data they're not our opinion about what works they're actually this is what the data shows so you can take what you want from this but this is what the data shows um, so i'm literally just finishing off a piece of research that we're doing with with my colleague henley we've been analyzing 100 million headlines published this year and from those 100 million headlines looking at okay what what's working so we're doing lots of statistical analysis to find patterns so you know breaking up just what, what are the top trigrams the three word phrases um why are those top trigrams getting most shares etc and that creates insights which hopefully are interesting to people but it's all backed on data and it makes people hopefully think about oh yeah Basuma has a really great set of data if you want to find out you know what's the most shared content for your competitors just type in their domain to Pasumo or type in a topic for example so um, I think writing research-based reports using our insights has been helpful but I think every company has its own insights maybe through case studies knowledge etc it's being able to share that and we just make them freely available we don't even gate them we just say here's the research reports um, you know you can sign up to the email if you want but really, um, you know, here's the research. 
Yeah. Is it possible to get a sneak peek into what sort of headlines are, are the most effective? Uh, I, yeah, I can, I can give you one. It's not going to be out for another week, but I think the, the one piece, which I will be showing on the webinar tomorrow, is the top trigram. And I think this is probably the biggest piece of the thing that came out for me. The top trigram is a three-word phrase. I mean, I thought it might be, you know, make you cry, laugh out loud, all those things. Um, actually, the top trigram, and it got twice as many Facebook shares on average as any other trigram. So it was not just the highest, but massively higher was will make you <clears throat> sorry will make you so which seems odd you wouldn't expect that to be a top trigram will make you but actually it's a connecting phrase and so the sorts of headlines you get are um x pictures that will make you feel happy um a video that will make you feel sad or whatever it happens to be um travel tips that will make you feel smart um and i think it's really interesting that because it's just a connecting phrase that you wouldn't really think about will make you but it connects the content to the impact on the reader. And so I'm interested in that, but we would have never found that if it wasn't for just analyzing literally 100 million posts and saying, okay, what is the top trigram? It's not something that leaps out at you, but once you, you crunch all the data through the sort of analysis tools, it comes up and says, you know, we'll make you. So my first reaction was, oh, I think we did something wrong because it's saying we'll make you as the top trigram. And then when you look at it, you think, oh, actually, that makes sense. It's connecting content to the impact on the reader. Um, it's made me rethink how I might write headlines. So, yeah. So that's one sneak peek from what will be coming out of the report in the next week or so. Okay, yeah, good stuff. And I think some ideas then for me with the, the title of the blog post for this podcast <laughs> episode, Steve Rayson will make you a better SaaS growth leader. So, something along those lines. Something along those lines. Yeah. And now if we think, uh, you know, you've grown BuzzSumo now into a $5 million business. And I was thinking, could you tell us more about how you approach this stage of your growth? So going from the 2.5 to 5 million ARR, also a bit about the realistic growth targets you set, your strategic plan, and then also a bit more about what you did on a more tactical and operational level. Okay. The, um, we do set relatively low growth targets um, just because I feel better if we overachieve them than if we underachieve them, we're behind target. And also the problem with setting high growth targets is you then normally set your budgets and your staffing on achieving those high growth targets. And so you then get financial issues as well, potentially if you're not hitting those targets. So we set this year really, I mean, sub 20% growth was our target for this year. And now we're overachieving that and hopefully we'll be about 40%. Um, but you feel in a slightly better position, but also as a bootstrapped company where we're profitable as an organization. So that's great. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether we set 20%, 40% in a way, although the downside you say we're not stretching ourselves if we're not really pushing and a VC backed company will be pushed. It will be stretched in a way that we're not. Um, so there is, you could see that potentially as a downside, but it, it means that we're under less stress. We're actually overachieving targets. You think, Oh, that looks good. We're overachieving the target. It might be a relatively low target, but it's still increasing our revenues. It's increasing our profits. Um, and I know some people who work for VC backed companies who are achieving much higher growth, but feel like complete failures because they're not hitting the targets they've been set. Mm. Um, and it puts them under huge stress. They're trying to hit high growth targets. Um, they're running a cash flow negative business. So they know you're always running out of cash. Uh, for example, um, you don't have as much control because you've got funders. Um, I think that can be an incredibly stressful place to be. And I sort of think it's okay for the VCs because they've invested in 10 or a hundred companies. So if, you know, 90% of those fail, that's still okay for the individual in the company. If the company fails, that could be the house, the mortgage, 
everything else. I mean, the you know owners are really invested in the in the in the company. In a way, in reality, VCs might lose some money on that project, but they might gain it on another. So, um, so we try to set you know let's say relatively low targets um and that's partly because until literally a month or a couple of months ago we never had any sales or marketing staff it was really a few of us writing articles uh, talking to some influencers running webinars etc um but if you signed up on the freemium version we would hope you would then convert to the paid but we didn't really <laughs> we didn't approach you to try and get you to convert uh, it was really you tried the product and if you liked it you bought it so our conversion rates were relatively low our conversion rates are around one percent maybe just over so um, we have about three hundred thousand freemium users now um, but we have i think just about under four hundred four thousand paying companies so our conversion rate is very low and that's partly because we've not actively approached any of those people so this stage of our growth we have recruited two people to help us give webinars to people not just let people get on and play with it because we can see from the analysis that People don't use all the features. <laughs> they only use little bits of it. Uh, we could help them get so much more value out of the product. So we're trying to now give them more webinars, um, approach people who are bigger clients to see if they will convert, and also to approach some of our bigger clients who are on our pro plan to see if they'll convert to our agency plan, which is a bigger plan with more features. So at this stage, we're, we're doing more proactive um, I suppose I call it sales rather than marketing in a way. It's proactive support to our customers. I mean, one of the problems we have when you've got a freemium product is you can quickly get tens or hundreds of thousands of free users. I mean, you just can't reach all those people or do lots of webinars. Um, so there is an issue about how you reach them. So now we've recruited a couple of people and we'll see whether that impacts on our growth, see whether that helps us grow faster uh, than we were growing before and whether it helps reduce churn. Churn is the really big issue for any sort of SaaS product like ours. People come, they use it, they stop using it. Um, so we want to do more webinars and things to help them get them the most they can out of the product. Uh, so hopefully prevent them from churning. And if you look back over the journey and specifically in terms of growth, are there any things you would do differently with the gift of hindsight? We might have focused on recruiting some sales and marketing staff earlier um, because we did become reasonably profitable quite quickly. Um, the problem is you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, we invested a lot more in the product. We've, the product's improved enormously and great credit to, to James and Henley for that um, in terms of, you know, more service at the back end and those sorts of things. Um, but we didn't invest so much in, in sales and marketing. And I think we could have potentially invested in that a lot earlier and grown it a bit faster because you're, we were sort of one of the in vogue products for a short while. I mean, people still know us, but you're only ever in vogue for a short while. Then people find something else that's shiny and new. So maybe we missed an opportunity to, to really invest and really do advertising. I mean, we literally didn't pay for any advertising or anything. We, we sponsored one podcast from last year, but before that we spent zero effectively. It was just our own time. And we possibly, because we had some profits, we could have probably accelerated that a little bit faster. And what about your plans for the future? Are you going to continue along the same path or will you be a little more aggressive in terms of investing in your growth? 
Um, and we will invest more in, in the sales and marketing side, but in some ways it's not being that much more aggressive because as you get bigger, obviously your percentage growth gets harder. So yeah. you can do say 20%, but when you're bigger, 20% becomes a lot more. Um, so to just maintain growth rates, um, we probably need to invest more anyway, um, I suspect. But it is more of the same. It's to continue to build a solid, profitable uh, business to make sure we have reserves for you know, in case you get tough times and things like that. But um, so we're, we're adding new features to the product, but we're deliberately not trying to, to go too wide in feature growth. We're trying to, to just add features which are about content research. We're fundamentally a content research company. You know, we'll track mentions of your branding content, but that's still research. We'll find influencers who amplify content, but that's really all about research. So it's, everything comes back to being a core content research product, really. So we've got some new features coming out this September, we will be launching a new question analyzer tool, which sits in Buzzsumo. So you can find, type in any topic and we'll show you all the questions people are asking across thousands of forums across the web. Um, because every question is almost a, a useful piece of content um, or a question that you can answer. So we're adding those sorts of features. We're adding more, I suppose, more um, sophisticated features for teams to use the product so you can create projects so you can track you know your five pieces of content will show you how well they've done who were the top sharers in nice reports etc um, before our tool was more used by individuals and now we're sort of developing it so that teams can use it um, and agencies can use it and, and get better results from it so but that sort of ongoing investment but nothing dramatic really it's just if we can continue to layer on if we could do 40% growth this year or even 20% growth, as long as it's profitable, that's great for us really. And um, we're still a small company, even having added those two extra people, we're only at nine staff at the moment. So we're a very small company. And we're also what's not unusual because I think Basecamp and, and others are a bit like us. We're in completely distributed. We don't have an office. Uh, so we have staff in, in London, Madrid, uh, New York, Atlanta, San Francisco. So our team of nine is completely uh, spread and uh, we're actually getting together in September um, for the first time as a complete team. Okay, that sounds good. And sounds like there's some really good stuff in the pipeline coming as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, but now if we just move on to the final two quick questions that we ask all our guests on the Growth Hub podcast. So firstly, there are a lot of great tools out there, as you know, for SaaS growth leaders. But if you could only pick five to use, what would they be? Um, I suppose I just have to choose the ones I use every day, really. Yeah, exactly. um, I mean, so I use Slack. I mean, we're, as I've just said, we're a distributed team. We use Slack. Everything takes place in Slack, really, for us. Um, we use Intercom, which I think is a, a great tool, a great idea. I wish I'd invested in, in Intercom. Uh, I'm actually here in Dublin today, and they're based over here. Um, so we use Intercom to manage everything, really. And it, what's lovely about Slack is it's a really sticky tool. It's hard to swap out uh, when you're using something like uh, uh, Intercom. Um, I use a, a tool of my own every day to stay up with uh, news and to curate content. It's a tool called Anders Pink, um, which is just anderspink.com. But it basically is a way you can set filters. It uses behind it the Buzzsumo Firehose. We crawl all the content published every day. But you can set your own filters. So just show me content published by uh, a particular domain or just show me content on e-learning trends or you know SaaS pricing. And so it just enables you to filter uh, every day quickly all the new content published so I use that every morning to try and stay up to speed on things because there's just so much content being published 
staying up to date is really hard. I mean, the real worry is we all wake up dumber than we went to bed because there are so many articles, research reports, products published overnight that we can't keep up with. So our knowledge as a proportion of all human knowledge gets smaller every day. So there's a, you know, there's a, we have a struggle hard to, to keep up, I think. So that's how I keep up. Um, we use Google Docs again to share things so um quite simple tool we use google docs every day uh sharing ideas and uh, keeping track on things for example um and also i give a shout out to a really small little SaaS tool that i like called Satismeter. um and it's just a bit of code you drop on your site and it just does the net promoter score it's it's quite a cheap piece of software but um we use it to keep track of our customers. Customer feedback is so important. And it just pops up on the, your app when they're using it saying, you know, how likely are you to recommend this to colleagues, friends from zero to 10, and then type in any feedback. It's really quick, really simple. Lots of our customers do give us feedback and it's really great that we can track our net promoter score, um, but also get feedback from people um, from them. So it's a really simple niche tool, but I really like it. Yeah, some good good tools in that list. And I've also just recently started using Anders Pink. So I can also highly recommend that to all our listeners as well. Um, and, and finally, the last question, what would be your one ultimate piece of advice that you would share with other SaaS growth leaders? Um, I mean, I think just be clear about what your what your objectives are, you know, what success looks like for you. Uh, and I think that's different. I mean, just because we're a smaller growth company and we're not going to be a billion dollar company, we're still successful in my view. We've built a company, we've built a brand, uh, we're profitable, um, we, we make a good living out of it. Um, so I think you've got to be clear about what, what success looks like for you and being realistic about that. Um, and I think my other advice you know in terms of building any business is in terms of your your brand and, and tone and style is just to be helpful to other people and the one thing i try to be is to give people time and be helpful to them so if i can help i will help if i can do research if i can give them access to data <clears throat> if i can talk to them etc i think being helpful is all about a really important positioning of your brand so we just try to be as helpful as we can and we do give back in our own way through having a free tool, for example. Um, that's all about giving back to the sort of marketing community. And I think people like us because we're helpful. We have a free tool as well as the paid tool. So I do think fundamentally in terms of just advice for life is just be helpful to people. Yes, well said. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful chatting with you and hearing more about BuzzSumo's growth journey as a proud SaaS donkey. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. That was Steve Rayson, director at BuzzSumo. And if you haven't used BuzzSumo before, then make sure you check it out at buzzsumo.com and make it part of your content marketing process. And you can also check out Anders Pink, a news app for individuals and teams that Steve's been working on at anderspink.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Rayson, and we have all these links in the episode description on the Growth Hub blog. So thank you for listening to the Growth Hub podcast, and make sure you check out the Growth Hub at advancedb2b.com slash the Growth Hub for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are Biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are.